everybody. He's Macaulay. I'm Brad. She's Linda. No, wait, that ain't it. He's Rat. She's Stacy. I missed her hand. No, that ain't it either. This ain't Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's Vikings Report. Drew and Ted. Drewster, how are you? Aloha, Mr. Han. <laughs> <laughs> Aloha, Mr. Han. <laughs> yeah, Ridgemont High tonight. Football in a movie. Hanging out with Ted Glover and Tunes. My life is Sunshine Spicoli right now, brother. Wait a minute, there's no birthday party for me here. <laughs> oh, Mr. Han. What's the reason for your truancy? Just couldn't make it on time. Sunshine Spicoli. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It's been a rough week. I had a funeral last week. I had a wedding this past weekend. Been all over the country. Been traveling oh. everywhere. Woo! Yeah, dude. Glad I'm back to doing the show, talking football. There we go. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. We are rolling right along here with episode 59. Episode 59, the Matt Blair episode, one of the greatest linebackers in Minnesota Vikings history. There's no even question of another 59. It's Matt Blair all the way across the board. You know, Matt Blair, linebackers were kind of fat and, you know, gooey and sloughy and. Like you and I are right now today. Like you and I are right now, but, <laughs> but Matt Blair showed up on the scene from Iowa State. I saw him play in his bowl game. He made like 27 tackles in his bowl game, but he's running sideline to sideline. And I'm going, this cat's awesome. But he kind of made that the quicker type yeah. linebacker. Block punts, great coverage guy, great tackler. You bring up special teams. Uh, everybody talks about what a great linebacker he was, and, and he truly was. Well, probably arguably the greatest linebacker in Vikings history. Yeah, very short list, if not top, second, or third. but. What would put him over the top for me was when the Vikings special teams were in their heyday and Matt Blair was right there. He was an expert at blocking punts, blocking field goals. It's just incredible how when you look back on that era, it seemed almost every week for a period of like three or four years, the Minnesota Vikings got a huge special teams play in terms of a block punt or a block kick almost it, it felt like almost every single game and it, it seemed like every week either yeah. him, or, him or freddie mcneil yes one of those two guys were always blocking a punt or blocking a field goal or it seemed like every week i mean it was just came wild 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 stuff Tootsis, how are you tonight i'm doing good but everything sucks all the time may i help you uh yes this is not the best breakfast i ever ate and i'd like my money back well we're gonna talk oh. about that a little bit later we have to talk about that a little later. <laughs> oh, I'm just go. kidding, though. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about those people here in a little bit. Okay, uh, I believe you have to fill out a form for that. Uh, no, I'd like my money back now. Ted? What do you got, Drew? I'm cooler than you are. <laughs> so won't you fix your little problemo and light this candle, old bud? He's right. Light this candle. Yes. Resume the countdown. All right, I'm cooler than you are. Why don't you fix your little problems and light this candle? He's right. Let's light this candle. He surely is. Light the candle. Yes. Resume the countdown. <laughs> I love that. All right, we got a great show for you tonight. We've got Vikings news. And there's not a whole lot to talk about. Free agency seems to be winding up. We gave you a little quick preview of the... Uh, Everything sucks all the time, crowd. We're going to talk about you folks. If it is a good morning, which I doubt. You know who you are. All the time. Everything sucks. We found a new group this week, Ted. 
We um, found a new group and they are for real. We got some information on them. We're going to share it with everybody out there. It's a new yeah. hiking group. So we got a pretty good show lined up for you. We kind of gave you a sneak preview of the everything sucks all the time crowd. You know who you are. We're going to talk about you. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Free agency's wrapping up. We got a really cool interview coming up with Emily Staker. She is a player agent. She's a lawyer, certified NFL and a player agent and NIL agent, I, whatever the correct term is for that. We're going to get some really cool insight on free agency in the draft from a player agent's point of view. I'm really looking forward to that. We got defensive ends we got to talk about. We got Drew's big board, and then we got trivia to wrap the show up. So, Drew, are you ready? We got a big show. Spicoli, you can't fix this car. <laughs> we got a big show ahead of us. Lots of Vikings. We got a little Ridgemont High. We do. Not a lot of, lot of Ridgemont High. How old were you when Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out, Ted? What year did that movie come out? 1982. 82. So I'd have been 14 or 15. I was 17. So it was right in there for both of us. That yeah. was our, that was our yeah. anthem. Yeah. Everything that happened in that movie was in my life. Every, it, it, it was like, it's like the camera was following my life. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Breakfast Club and how everybody knew somebody in that club. You could pretty much say the same for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> because if there wasn't a bender that you knew or was like really a big name in your school, there was a Spicoli. Every school had a Spicoli. Why don't you get a job, Spicoli? What for? You need money. Uh, all I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Right. I heard this interview with Sean Penn, and he said he came up with the Spicoli character from one of his real high school buddies. There was this guy who went to a school that was exactly like Spicoli. He took that image or that you know character from that guy. And then he said, like, 30 years later, he's at the market, and he saw that dude who, who was Spicoli in his high school. Yeah. And he was still Spicoli. <laughs> and he told Sean Penn, went, you know what, I got to tell you something, that uh, the Ridgemont High character, I did it after you, and he's all, no way. <laughs> classic movie. Just one of the all-time classic movies. For anybody who's ever seen it, though, there's one scene that everybody's waiting on. That's a surprise you haven't, they're not complaining right now. Show the scene. Show the scene. Tell them, Ted. Life is strange. You're moving in stereo. <laughs> Water fountains going off in the background. You know what it is. Phoebe Cates, take a bow. Wherever you are, madam. You li still live in the hearts and minds of old dudes my age who saw you in that movie, and it has lived with us for, what, 50 years? Greatest thing I've ever seen in cinema. <laughs> that is a top five scene, and if you haven't seen it, we can't play the whole scene here for you, but if, if you know, you know. Whew. <laughs> Smoke show! <laughs> Just a great movie. All right. Vikings news is fairly slow. It seems as if we've pretty much culminated the free agency period. And we had the Patrick Peterson was like the last really big signing. It seems like the Vikings are kind of are, are shifting gears and, and going into full draft preparation mode, which is coming up here uh, in just a couple weeks. And we'll, we'll, we'll be live the 28th and 29th. With our live draft show with you, me, Ruby, and Christopher Gates, and a cast of several. Maybe not thousands, but several. We'll have some guests on and everything. And let's throw a shout-out to Jason Feinhog, 
who donated a beautiful Minnesota Vikings leather jacket for the draft show. That's pretty cool. This is a tremendous prize that this guy is donating to the show. So I want to give him a special shout out. We got a lot of stuff to give away. We got a big party coming up, Ted, in like yeah. two weeks now. Going to be a lot of fun. But as it stands right now, it feels like the Vikings, there may be one or two more signings, but it just feels like they've, they've completed the bulk of their free agency signings or the free agency work. And how do you grade it all so far? C, D, F. I can't give it an overall grade because there's different things they needed to do. Did they need to address cornerback depth? They did. And I thought they did a very good job of that. They needed to address the offensive line and they did that. There were a couple big signings there. My key is how good are these players? It's good that they have bodies. I mean, because when you looked at what the roster was for, free agency started, the cupboard was pretty bare, especially for the, the corners and, and the defensive backs in general. So I think they've done a good job getting at least a minimum amount of bodies that they can address and supplement further in the draft and, and have a good group heading to training camp and some healthy competition. Uh, I worry about the overall talent that they signed, uh, other than maybe Zadarius Smith. I think he's pretty good. So yeah, there, there are a couple offensive linemen they signed, Jesse Davis and Chris Reed, I think. They're going to bring in a ton of competition, more than I think we've seen in the past. And that's going to be good. I think when you add what they've done in free agency with what they're going to do in the draft, you can't be too upset with it. I'm going to give it B, B minus. What, what about you? I'd roll right in there with the B minus, too. It seems, it seems like they're trying to address this interior offensive line thing without having to deal with a draft pick. Yeah. It's like three or four guys now that they're they stockpiled in there and they're going to do the roll the dice and see which one, if Jesse Davis were, I think it's Jesse Davis or Chris Reed. Yeah, I think so. Or, and you know, everybody talks about Wyatt Davis and he might be thrown in the competition as well. Who knows? If they had him lined up to be the right guard, would they be signing all these people? I mean, maybe Schlotman, they would have signed Schlotman anyways as a depth guy, but I will say they're looking to address one of the big problems on the offensive line, right guard. I think you can make an argument that Ezra Cleveland's a league average dude. The only other position that worries me is is center and Garrett Bradbury. It feels like the Vikings are going to roll with him. The fans seem a lot more worried about the center position than Kwesi Adofu Mensa does. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They, he really does. And, you know, they say, well, you know, we might run a, a little bit different scheme that might play to his athletic ability a little bit more. So we'll wait and see. And there's not a lot of techniques you can throw in on a dude when you're just getting physically overpowered. So what are you people on dope? Maybe it'll work. I don't know. Let's remember that the, the Rams center, like Brian Allen, mm -hmm. he wasn't really that good of a center. And last year he kicked ass. They turned him around. And maybe they have the same idea to do with uh, Bradbury, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, probably the same thing they're having with Cousins. We know what to do with Cousins. The other Clint Kubiak, he didn't know what the hell he was doing. We know yeah. what we're doing. And that's, I think that's kind of how they're rolling. But I'm happy with the offseason so far. Are you? You, don't have, you don't have to go out and spend a bunch of money on free agents. I mean, come on. I really like this Darius Smith signing. That's probably my favorite signing of the offseason. And the Hicks signing. Jordan Hicks is a good signing, too. Yeah. I like the Hicks signing more. Do you really? Why is that? I was really worried about the linebacker position. Okay. And I think he fits exactly what the Vikings want. He's the type of player, very instinctive. Read, react. We ran some highlights on him last week. The guy is a really good football player. And he's durable. He's not going to be sitting on the bench. He's going to be playing. And I was really worried about the linebacker position. So I'm, I'm actually happier with that. 
I've already said, Zadarius Smith and Hunter stay healthy. There's your sack champions for the year. Yeah, I, I think you're right. If, if they stay healthy. They're going to wreak havoc. Is that right, havoc? Okay, to wreak means to cause something bad to happen. Particularly in the collocation to wreak havoc. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like uh, Forrest Whitaker in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Charles Jefferson. <laughs> Man, what'd you do to my car? <laughs> Remember, Spicoli ruined the car, and then he blamed it on the rival high school yeah, yeah. And, said, and vandalized it, and then the, then they played the rival high school, and Forrest Whitaker was killing all of their players. <laughs> Literally killing them. It's going to beat the yeah, guy's going to totally destroy them, annihilate. You know what I mean? Yep. Look what you did to my car! <laughs> My daddy's got this awesome set of tools. And, Ch and Charles Jefferson's younger brother's in the car. <laughs> Spicoli, you can't fix this. First he's going to shit, then he's going to kill us. <laughs> you can't fix this car, Spicoli. Then he's going to kill us. Relax. All right? My old man is a television repairman. He's got this ultimate set of tools. I can fix it. You can't fix this car, Spicoli. <laughs> I'll go solid B, no minus. Solid B. All right. That's fair. But, Drew, there's there's a faction of the fan base. I don't think it doesn't matter what the Vikings do or don't do. Oh. They're not happy. That's the idea, Raz. That's the attitude. The attitude? Yeah. They can't be made happy. I came across a group last week. I found this group. I did a little investigative reporting. In this group, there is a group out there, Vikings group. There's an acronym. It's called ESAT. And I thought, ESAT, what is ESAT? You know what I found out? What? It's a group. ESAT stands for Everything Sucks All the Time. And as you see on the screen right there, that says it right there. You can't keep these, this faction of the fan base happy, Ted. Everything, every signing, oh, oh it sucks. We're going to suck. The Vikings suck. It's the same thing. They're running it back. Mensa's not the GM. There's a guy behind the curtain making the calls. That signing sucks. Cousin sucks. That guy sucks. That guy sucks. You suck. Everything sucks all the time. This sucks more than anything that has ever sucked before. You can't make them happy. There's a, a, I'm done with this team. They suck. The president of that club is a guy by the name of Bob from Bloomington, and he's your typical radio call-in dude. We got a picture of Bob. Let's throw it up, <laughs> throw it up there. That's Bob, Bob from Bloomington. From Bloomington. Now, he does not look happy. Blood-sucking vampire. He's a fun sucker. <laughs> Just sucks the fun out of everything. Does Bob look pleasant to you? No, he looks pissed off. Bob is the leader of ESAT Nation, and it's this small group like Est or Men Mensa. What's Mensa, yeah. And when I worked at the Flamingo Hotel, I worked there for a year. I had to work this group called Mensa. A little water station, set up the glasses and the water pitchers with the ice. These were the weirdest freaking people I ever met in my life, Ted. <laughs> I walk in there to see how they're doing, you know, check on them, see if they need anything. They're gathered around the water station, looking at how I put the glasses out there. I put the glasses like one in the middle and one around it, and then a row around it and a row around it. Yeah. And then the, the water station next to it, I just put them in a square. When I put yeah. the glasses out with the water jugs, they're all gathered around discussing the formation of these glasses. <laughs> they were 
arm. And then there was more glasses in the circle than the square. And they called me over. And they said, have you noticed this? There's 32 glasses in the circle. And there's only 24 in the square. But the square uses more room than the circle. And I looked at him and I said, dude, I'm gonna butt ready to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> Come on, you wanna do something about it? Come on. Come on. Hey, let's go, man. Come on, I'll break your head off. No, do something, Come man. On, drop off. Hey, that's this crap off. <laughs> By about four o'clock, I was in the drinking in the employee lounge. I was drinking bourbon, wild turkey. The owner, Pierre Aaron of the Flamingo, walked into the employee room and I'm sitting there with a bottle. I thought I was fired. I said, dude. <laughs> I said, dude, I'm going to clean out my locker and I'm going to go because I know probably drinking at work isn't a cool thing. And he's got his hands on his hips. He's all, what are you working? I go, it's the Mensa people. And he goes, oh, okay. And he just walked away. <laughs> Do you think we could have a hot tea with just a little bit, maybe one drop of ice? It's really, ah! <laughs> That's smart, Mike. That's smart, see? What the hell were we talking about, Jesus? What else is annoying is that everything sucks all the time, crap. Everything sucks. All the time. Everything you say, it's not going to work. Nothing's going to work. The transactions aren't going to, the acquisitions, nothing's going to work, Ted. Nothing. What you need is my special five-point plan. Come on, Damone. I need real help here. I get the frustration at some level. No matter. Most likely lose it again anyway. Because there are a lot of fans that thought the Vikings are going to blow it up. They're going to blow it up and tear everything down and kind of do what the Bears are looks like the Bears are doing. And the Vikings chose not to do that. And, and like the first big move new general manager Quasi Adolfo Mensa made was basically to re-sign Kirk Cousins, give him an extra, like a one-year extension. That kind of got like, hey, let's have an everything sucks all the time crowd meeting, like an AA meeting. And they said, hey, look, we need to have a meeting. They have meetings, Ted. Because this is the day we replace Billy Kimber. <laughs> to be a member of this this group, I found out. Look at what you got to eat every Monday. Here's a picture of what you got to eat: an angry pot pie. Look at that <laughs> pot pie. It's angry. You're forced to eat that every Monday, and if you say anything good about the team, you are out. And it feels like it's a twelve step program. We admitted we were powerless over being positive towards the Minnesota Vikings. Well, that's like step one. <laughs> because everything sucks all the time. All the time. Not much of a house. Just right for not much of a donkey. Look, I get it. I was kind of of the proponent of blow it up and start over, but but they're not. You have no say. You have no control over the situation. So if they don't do exactly what you want, it's I hate this team. If they don't do exactly what you want, it's if the general manager is being controlled by forces behind a curtain that we can't <laughs> see, and it's a big conspiracy. If the GM does what you think we should be doing, Dude's a genius. So when's it been advantageous to follow the Bears? Because you started off there saying we didn't, fans are mad because we're not doing what the Bears are doing. Why would you want to follow the Bears? You're worried about following the Bears, man. You are higher than Spicoli coming out of that van. <laughs> Wait, you hear the bell? We're here. That was you in high school, wasn't it? Oh, every day. <laughs> but so like the everything that sucks all the time crowd, I don't get it. Like you could be mad or you right. could choose to try and figure out why the Vikings are doing what they're doing. 
And I tried to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. And I, I'm not embracing it 100%, but I understand the long-term strategy. And I've said this before, and I think at least the Vikings have a plan to get out from underneath these contracts. With, with Rick Spielman the last couple of years, he was just doubling down on everybody, trying to get everybody back as long as he could, regardless of what the situation for the salary cap was going to be in three or four years down the road. And, and Adolfo Mensa is still balancing – I think talent on the roster with getting back to a healthy cap situation in two or three years and still having a, a team that's good enough to compete and kind of exciting to watch. Maybe I don't know. But, but Ted, the ESAT nation doesn't even give it a chance to work. You're doing all these moves. They hate it right off the bat. When do you give it a chance to work before everything sucks all the, all time? the time? Everybody seems like they're throwing the towel in already. And I understand the frustration me and you have been doing this for 50 years following this team. Things usually don't work out our way. But I'm certainly not going to throw the towel in in the beginning of April. You let Zimmer have all his plan and let him do all that stuff all those years. You didn't bitch about it. But this guy doesn't even get a month on the job, and it's, oh, everything sucks. All the time. All the, everything. Fire him. I, just, I don't get it. I don't get it, Ted. Fire O'Connell. Fire Dofamessa. Fire. 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 <laughs> He's being controlled by somebody in the front office. Mark Wilson becoming Jerry Jones. You want to end up like Bloomington, Bob? I'm frustrated, too. I get frustrated during the season. I have been frustrated, but give it some time to play out. Yeah. You got the whole season to hate everything. <laughs> you got the whole season. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, it, it could have been a much worse offseason. I think the moves they have made have been low-key pretty good, especially on the offensive line especially when you think Jordan Hicks and Darius Smith. New coaching staff in, draft coming up, and, and the, the new draft philosophy that we think of Quasi Adolfo Mensa, this new collaborative process. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Anything become a little clear on the draft? They've signed enough players at positions of need that I don't think they're locked in on any one position. So I think they can truly go best player available. What do you think on that? I think it's down to corner, linebacker. Outside shot at safety, but uh, corner linebacker and edge. I used to think interior offensive line maybe at 12 or Linderbaum or all that stuff up center that we mm -hmm. talked about in the past shows. But I'm really thinking Stingley or Gardner. Stingley, Gardner, if they're both gone, trade back. I still think they may go wide receiver just to bring back three deep. People seem to be making fun of that competitive rebuild thing that Quasey was talking about. Like you and I, like you said, we've been fans of this team a very long time. I'm to the point where if you don't have a team that's competing for a Super Bowl, you're just kind of spinning your wheels. And the Vikings the last two or three years have sort of been spinning their wheels and they're bringing back a lot of the same talent that's done the wheel spinning. Now they've got a new coach and they're going to have a new philosophy on, on offense with Ed Donatel coming in, running a 3-4. Right. Kevin O'Connell's an offensive guy. Could Kevin O'Connell and the new coaching staff be the difference between 8-9 and nine and like 12-5? and five? Yes. We'll find out. It could. They yes, could. look at some of those losses last year. Last possession, either a missed yeah. field goal, last possession. They weren't getting beat by 40 every week. I think this coaching staff feels that Zimmer was a klutz, Kubiak was a moron. We can make it work better than they can, and we were right there on the doorstep. Plus, I think they're also thinking, Ted, we'll blow it up next year when we can get yeah. our quarterback. Let's I think so. Up. When we can get our quarterback this year, we're going to try to catch lightning in a bottle, but we plan on blowing it up next year. I think they're doing the right thing. Kubiak is not an offensive coordinator. Why was he even in that position? That was my skull.
Well, and the defense was just terrible. I mean, you take away all the points they gave up in the last two minutes of the half. I think the Vikings win 11 or 12 games. And now, granted, you can't do that, but. I think what ESAT Nation has to look at is O'Connell, West Phillip, Donatel, all those guys together, collaborating together. That's a much more solid staff than you had last year. So before you start thinking everything sucks all the time, realize that the foundation of your coaching staff, it's better. It is. And not only that, you don't have the dysfunction the Minnesota Vikings had the last couple of years with Rick Spielman not talking to Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer not talking to Kirk Cousins until like his fourth year here. Like, really? You got a guy you guaranteed over $80 million to when you signed him in 2018 and you don't like sit down with him at least once a week? Ridiculous. For four years? It's ridiculous. Really? That's addition by subtraction, if nothing else. I'm not going to sell them down the river before they played their first game. I- I'm going to give them a chance. Whether I agree with their philosophy and strategy and approach to things, it doesn't matter because they're doing what they're going to do, not what I want to do. And because they're not doing what I want to do, obviously there's some huge conspiracy that Quasio Dofamensa is not in control of anything. And Kevin O'Connell doesn't really care about uh, anything. He didn't really want to even be the coach. He still wants to be in L.A. He only took this job after uh, because he was a man of his word once he said yes. He's looking to get out of his contract. I want an angry-faced pot pie, and I want it now. (laughs) What do we got next, Ted? What's on the agenda? So coming up now, we have got a really cool interview coming up. Uh, Her name is Emily Staker. She is a lawyer, and she is a certified NIL and NFL player representative. So, Emily Staker interview right now. Folks, we got a, a real treat for you tonight. You know, we've, we've been interviewing players. One of the things I find fascinating about this whole time of year is the behind-the-scenes stuff. And you don't really get to see behind-the-scenes a whole lot. But tonight, we have a special treat. We have an, an, an actual NIL and NFL player rep from Summit Athletes. Emily Staker has taken some time out of her incredibly hectic, busy day and time of year to join us. So, Emily, thank you so much for joining us on Vikings Report. Drew and Ted, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's always exciting when you guys get to talk to some of my guys and then I get to come on. It it always is great for me. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, if we watched Brad Cecil, Brad is a client of Emily's and through just talking with Brad and coordinating this with Emily, we just kind of said, hey, how about getting an agent on here? Because I just love this behind the scenes stuff that nobody ever gets to really talk about other than other than if you've watched Jerry Maguire, like that's my extent of player negotiations. And if it's like any other Hollywood movie, it's not even close to real. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what a great guy Brad Cecil is, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Finished that interview. I'm going totally watching that guy's games next year. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a great kid. I mean, I really just love working with offensive linemen. They're like just the easiest, easiest players to work with in my experience. <laughs> Now, before we started, before we started recording, you said it's been a busy day. I just kind of want to know between NFL free agency and then getting ready for the draft, you got to be going 26, 27 hours a day for like the next or for the last two or three months, it feels like, I bet. Yeah, it it really is nonstop. You know, I think uh, because I run our NIL division as well, it's really hard to kind of keep track sometimes because I really feel like 
I'm working with guys at every single stage of their career every day, which is a really cool experience, right? Because I have days where I'm talking to kids who are juniors in college and then our guys in free agency and I get to kind of run the gamut of their whole experience as an athlete and it is really cool in that way but it's also kind of difficult to keep on track but I will say right now this time of year is is so dominated by pro days you know making sure my guys are putting up the right numbers and getting those numbers out there sending their film to everyone still right and you know dialing it in for for draft week. So there's usually like the big early busy part of free agency and then it kind of ties dies down and then you're gearing up for the draft. But there's kind of an overlap there where free agency is still pretty hectic and you still got the combine, which is a big, big event for prospective NFL folks. When, when it's that time of year, how do you prioritize stuff as an agent and an, as an NIL rep? I can't say that anything goes on the back burner. You just kind of make it work. And I okay. will say, you know, it benefits to be part of a greater agency because we can really lean on each other. And so, you know, we have guys who strictly do NFL agent stuff. You know, I am really the only one doing NIL related things. So that's kind of my baby right now, but you know, it's nice to be able to lean on each other when you need to. And, And I think what I appreciate about summit is our roster size is right at the point that we're able to keep the quality of representation where we're really comfortable. Uh And that's what drew me to Summit in the first place. And so I I think that that is a huge advantage, not just for us, but for our clients too. So when you go into a negotiation with a team for for free agency, let's say, how much real back and forth is there? I'm thinking you guys are generally fairly close on, on numbers and there's not there's not a lot of haggling or am I, am I wrong on that? Yeah, no, I, I definitely wouldn't say haggling, you know, honestly, the reality is most of it happens kind of over email, you know, sometimes I'll be on the phone and that happens, but you're usually not surprised by anything just because you know, that the season that your guy had, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that kind of informs the level of confidence that you that you have. And so, you know, I try and be pretty realistic. I think it's just in the interest of everyone really to put forth a really fair deal for everyone involved. And I certainly think it's possible. And I also think it garners and fosters a lot of trust and respect with teams that is to the benefit of all of my guys, right? Like that, that kind of relationship ends up paying off down the road for sure your clients maybe have more of a gap in what they think they should get versus what you pretty much have an idea what you can get for them in free agency? You know, I think that can happen. We try and really just represent men who have, um, you know, a really good circle around them of, of people who are protecting their interests and also keeping them down to earth. And who are just down to earth guys already, you know, as you saw with Brad, like we, we don't really represent like kind of the cliche diva player. And the reality is there's just not many of them, to be honest, in my experience, and they exist. But of course, you know, when you think about the locker room, you're surrounded, if you're a player, you're surrounded by guys, the spectrum of pay can be huge sometimes, right? Depending Mm -hmm. on position. And, you know, maybe that, that bothers you a little bit, but for the most part, guys kind of know, like, for their position, what the range is, and they're going to be realistic with themselves of where they're at. And 
you know, it really is just a fine balance of making sure that they feel valued and supported and, you know, financially comfortable while also making sure that the team is really able to afford them. So uh, it really is kind of a dance back and forth to get something in, in the works, but it, it doesn't take as much back and forth as I think people might expect. So what's the biggest hang up then besides money and getting a deal done? There was one with like contract language and, and that's all we heard was contract language. And that, that was a deal breaker. I think the, maybe a guy from Dallas. Anyways, is that the biggest hang up besides money or, or what is, what will stop a deal more often than not besides that? Yeah, it can be little things sometimes depending on, you know, maybe you have a guy with an injury history and the contract isn't favorable to that. That's definitely a real thing. Like if they, if the team wants to load the, the roster bonuses really heavy because your guy has injury history and they're not really sure, you know, they're hedging their bets on him, maybe not being on the roster. Right. And so certain things like that can be an issue, but I would say, I think predominantly just in the NFL, the most contentious thing right now is guaranteed money in contracts. Um, it's, it's a huge problem for this league. You know, other leagues don't experience right. this issue of having contracts that aren't fully guaranteed. And there's certainly a trend towards higher guaranteed amounts, but I think players are starting to fixate a lot more on the ratio of guaranteed money in their contract. And that matters a lot. And I, I understand why, you know, it is kind of a mind game sometimes when you look at these huge contract values, right? If you were just a, a fan, right? A spectator and you're seeing these huge contract values, right? It, it's kind of mind blowing, but the reality is in the NFL, a lot of it is, um, you know, that's never going to come to fruition for that guy. So it can be kind of maddening as a player to experience that. And I, I understand. And I think that that is a very real problem that a lot of guys have. Real quick thing. Do you think then Deshaun Watson's contract and, and Kirk Cousins back in 2018 when he got the fully guaranteed deal, do you see that trending more towards guaranteed money for, for most players or just maybe the quarterback position? And then who are the worst teams to negotiate with or who are the best teams to negotiate with? Or can you just say, there's a team when they call, you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to these guys today. I'll call them back later. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, let me answer. I can't believe I'm saying this, but let me answer the Deshaun question first. I do think it's difficult because, of course, I think it's going to be a trend, right? And quarterbacks oftentimes do kind of define those trends in contracts, right, because of their value, because of their leverage. However, I also think that, it's going to become increasingly more important and relevant in CBA discussions. And Good. there's going to be a point where it becomes like the contention point. I can almost guarantee, right? Because it, the reality is like in the same way that players compare themselves to other guys in their locker room, they're going to compare themselves to other athletes who are getting fully guaranteed contracts and, sure. and say, why, why are we not getting that? So I, I think it's headed in that direction. It's just so hard to, to predict the timing of it because uh you know as it stands there's still a, a pretty significant mismatch in leverage with ownership and the players union because it's one of the biggest player unions in professional sports and it's really hard to get guys on the same page so We'll see. I don't know how long it'll take, but I, I definitely predict that eventually that will happen. So as it relates to teams that I, I do enjoy, 
working with, but I actually can give a really kind of cool and fun answer, which is um, I love working with the Bucks because one of their cap managers, uh, Jackie Davidson, she actually, back in the day when I was in law school, I went to, um, it was like an NFL negotiation competition and she was one of my judges. And at that time she was working for the Jets doing their cap management. Wow. She really connected with me and she, you know, I was one of maybe like three women in a competition of like 300 people. And she told me, you know, your understanding of statistics is the best I've seen in years at this competition. And it, that's awesome. You feel so validated. So it's such a full circle moment to be able to pick up the phone and talk to her now because we're both in different places and she's, Mm -hmm killing in her career she continues to do so and you know I've grown in so many ways but to be able to work with someone who really saw me for for who I was at that point is a really special thing for me no wait wait you said you said three and 300 what's that like you know it it is frustrating I, I think those competitions are difficult because they are so statistic heavy and, you know, I, I think that can be a deterrent for a lot of women, because if you do not understand the flow of the game, it's really hard to argue statistics. You know, okay. you have to understand how that math translates on the field in order to, you know, make it make sense in a logical way as it connects to like the money and the contract, right? It's all connected, but you have to be able to understand that. And there's just so many nuances in you know, position specific and age of a play, you know, little things like that. And for me, I had the experience, I was working at an agency at that time. So I had firsthand experience exposure and I have grown up watching the game since I was little. So I have that knowledge going into it. That's awesome. Thank you. But it's hard to learn if you just are like, yeah, I want to do this. Like that's a lot of information to learn. So I think a bit daunting if you don't have that experience going into it and at the end of the day you know it it really is just there's sort of an inherent deterrent to women in a male prevalent field for that reason well you guys are killing it so I I think it's awesome last NFL question I know you're the main NIL rep for for summits and I want to ask you a couple NIL questions you have some time for that as well yeah so Christian Kirk and Zay Jones reset the wide receiver market free agency with the Jacksonville or or the Jacksonville Jaguars reset the wide receiver market with those two signings. That's had a ripple effect with Devontae Adams and uh, Stephon Diggs just signed another big extension. And there's another receiver I'm missing off the top of my head. Do you think this is kind of a semi-permanent thing? And I want you to please tell me no, because when Justin Jefferson comes up for his contract extension in like two years, I don't know if the Vikings can afford $75 million a year for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so specific to the receiver, I will say. And I I think the biggest argument that you see is, is it the receiver or the quarterback? Right. And it, the ones who shine regardless of quarterback, like they have so much leverage, right? Because they can put a team in a position to win regardless of whether they're drafting a quarterback or maybe they're working with an older vet, like, it's an advantage that gives a team a lot more flexibility if they're not willing to invest a max contract on a quarterback, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So it does, yes. Um, there's a business case for it for sure. And you know, a good agent is gonna recognize, okay, we can leverage this because 
Otherwise, the team's going to have to go invest in other offensive weapons like a star quarterback, which is going to cost them double or triple sometimes. So, you know, it's just little things like that that I think they can still, you know, continue to charge as much as they can. But it's also just really dependent on the year, you know, who's in free agency. And like this year has been really interesting because it really is the first year that teams are so confident in their college scouting because it's been kind of the first unfettered year post COVID or, you know, at least that they've been able to have kind of that unfettered access in, in watching these college kids. And so teams are really hedging their bets on the draft stock, which is why we're seeing so many talented free agents who are still free agents right now, Mm -hmm. right? Because teams are going to, say let's let the draft play out let's get this cheap talent while we can get it and then we'll fill in you know some of these free agents are going to be hall of famers and they're still free agents and that just to me speaks so much to the confidence that these teams have right now in their scouting abilities so we'll see because that younger talent it's always going to be cheaper right yeah it is always so kind of switching gears out of your college prospects what are you doing if if their pro day's over and and all that, what are you doing now? Are you in contact with teams about your clients saying, hey, I got this guy, he's an he's a offensive guard or center or whatever. How does that whole process work in, in getting your client's name out there? Yeah, you know, I think I feel pretty confident in that most of my guys have already had pretty extensive conversations with teams. And I've had teams outright say, you know, he's on our board or, you know, if we're not going to draft him, he's going to get a camp invite. So I've got a lot of assurance there. And I I think I feel really good about it. But right now, you know, a lot of it's getting invited. This is, again, like the first year that teams are doing local days again, which is basically them inviting kind of the the guys in their region that they've been scouting. So like, I've got a a kid who played at U of A, he's going to go to the Cardinals local day. So, you know, stuff like that, just opportunities to basically work out for the team again, kind of meet the coaches, see if there's chemistry, like, especially if a guy, you know, is kind of on the bubble of being what's called a premium free agent where they get multiple camp invites and being a late draft pick if they're right on the bubble, these days can really matter because if he meets a coach and they click, like he meets his position coach and they have great chemistry, they hit it off right away. That's going to give him a lot more of an advantage when it comes to, you know, the later rounds. So it's, it's just at this point, I really view it as small, you know, small things, small acts, small, you know, one day of having a really good day on the field can make a huge difference. Do top 30 visits matter? I, I mean, it's, I mean, you talk about the first impressions. Is that where that relationship or, or chemistry can, can happen? Or, or how does that whole thing work? Um, you know, matter is so hard to say, right? Because sure. I think for the player, if they're a top 30 prospect, like they're, they have a level of assurance that, you know, they should feel pretty confident in the next few weeks. From my perspective, you know, I think it matters a lot more for those those guys who are kind of maybe they were underscattered or maybe they had an injury earlier in the season last year and, and they've really only had, you know, the ability to play healthy recently or, or maybe they didn't have a stellar pro day, you know, mm-hmm. then those days can make a huge impact. So, you know, as far as 
as much meaning I would lend to it. I think it means a lot more to those guys who are, you know, have more to prove Mm -hmm. than the ones who have been scouted extensively. NIL, you, you are the head of your NIL division at Summit and NIL is changing the college landscape like nothing the sport has seen since in not only football, but basketball, women's basketball, just about every sport. A, do you think that change is better or worse? And I think it's better for the athlete, but do you think there should be like some kind of national federal legislation or standard or something to make it a more level playing field for everybody? Because some schools are way ahead of this than others. You know, it's interesting because it's become almost like the scapegoat for a lot of things that were already plaguing college sports, particularly football, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it, it really is. And when people talk about, you know, pay, pay for play and, and all this stuff and using it as a recruiting advantage, like, trust me in that that advantage was happening beforehand. It's just, you know, and this is why I love NIL, that money is going directly to the player this time and not, you know, this family member or through this person, right? it's going directly to the guy. So, and, and now you can legally represent college players. Now that NIL changed all that because you can get them endorsement deals. But where before, if they signed with an agent, you know, Viking great Chris Carter signed with an agent. He got kicked out of school. That's yep. all legal now. Yep. It is. Well, it, you have to, obviously it has to be very specific to NIL. So, you know, I can't counsel any of my guys as it relates to, you know, football specific stuff, okay. uh, or at least they can't, compensate me for that but you know I'm also an attorney and so for me it's really important that you know I I really want to look at every single contract that my guy is signing because especially with NIL there's a lot of licensing and using their names and whatever for time periods that are way too long right or or little things like that that if you're not being super judicious looking over a contract like Mm -hmm. A star player can sign away, you know, licenses to his name and likeness for indefinite amounts of time, right? And so we really, for us, it's about protecting their value in the long run. And that's been super important to me, like throughout this process is just making sure that our guys are signing really fair contracts for them. And so, yeah, it's been it's kind of the wild west still. So of course there are some, in some ways I wish that there was, you know, a greater regulatory body. I won't say that I wish the NCAA did more. I wish that they did as little as possible because I can't stand them, but. Now now do the rules change from state to state in the type of deals a player can get and how much money they can get as a student, or is that just kind of whatever for anybody? Um, yeah, I mean, every single state is different. And then with that, every single school is different as well. So with every single guy, I have to do a different process. I will say like, and this is what I really pride Summit on doing is we're so transparent with schools. Like I immediately, the moment I know I want to work with a guy, I'm going to their compliance department. I'm saying, hey, you know, pretty much every every athletic compliance department is going to want a disclosure form about me, about all my certifications, about where I'm licensed to be an attorney. You know, I'm doing that right away. So they know who I am. They know I'm legit. They know exactly which player players I want to work with. Right. Mm-hmm. I try and get them as much information about me as possible because at the end of the day, it protects the player. Right. Like I, I don't want to do anything that puts his eligibility at risk that, 
is sure. <laughs> totally contrary to my purpose, right? And so, and it's also, you know, I'm doing this ideally to protect the player. So it's, um, you have to be very diligent in your research about what schools require what. And then the other big thing too is just, if a school has a contract, usually with a big, you know, apparel brand, or mm-hmm. it's usually, they're usually at Pepsi or a Coke school. So they do Gatorade or Powerade or whatever. And so <laughs> you have to make sure we're not making contracts that are, you know, going against that. I got one last question for you. You've been very generous with your time. I got one more question and I, I how it pertains to NIL. Do you think there's going to come a day and we talked about guaranteed money and, and actual how much comparatively there's little money that nfl athletes generally get compared to their counterparts in other sports with nil do you see a day coming where a college athlete could be actually making more money if they're like a top first round draft pick with an nil deal than they could make with their rookie deal in the nfl and do you see that rippling into nfl contracts four five ten years down the road hmm. wow i've never really thought of that that's really interesting um I'm sure it's possible, right? It's it's really incredible how much influence a lot of these college kids have. I mean, March Madness is a great example of just like culturally, sure. it's so significant. Or you think about like SEC football, like that is so meaningful to that region. There's so much money in football. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's certainly possible, especially when you look at like, a lot of rookie contracts aren't really for that much money, you know, right. yeah. so um, yeah, if it's a star player, I, I don't see why, especially when you think about comparatively, you know, tennis players, golfers, those people who are at the same age as a lot of these college kids who are getting those, you know, huge Nike deals, huge Adidas deals. Like in that way, I think it, it's totally possible. Drewster, you got anything for, for Emily? Emily? <laughs> been through all the serious questions now. <laughs> I have a, I have, I have 112 questions. You ready? All right, perfect. <laughs> Let's do it. Rapid fire. <laughs> I want to know. You seen Jerry Maguire? Oh yeah. Have you ever had to do the help me help you kind of thing with a with a person? Is that real? That stuff happens, right? Have you ever had to do that? It's real. Yeah, for sure. I think that definitely happens. I just try and do a really good job you know summit in general we we try and vet the type of guys we work with pretty well and my biggest thing like I am not a heavy recruiter in the sense that I'm like super in a guy's face you know I really the guy I say hey I want to work with you and I'd love to talk to you but I respect their boundaries and if they are not into it like I'm cool with that I am not gonna push it because like I have respect for their time and they might even already know who they want their agent to be and I'm gonna honor that so I think of course there's agents who are a lot more assertive and that can certainly pay off for them but that's just not my style at all and okay I think it, it works out for me it works out to the benefit because I end up working with guys who really wanted to work with me too okay Okay. Let's say Emily's having a fantastic day. You just signed a $300 million deal. You're having a great day. Best day Emily's had in a long time. You're going out jumping in the car. What is your go-to band? I love talking to people about music. (laughs) I have to ask everybody I know, what is your one CD you're pulling out, you're putting in the car because you're having a fantastic day and I am rocking to this band. Um, Right now, I'm actually, I've been listening to a lot of Steely Dan. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah. But, there we go. There we go. 
uh, yeah, I think probably something like that, you know. Um, so you like the classic rock stuff? I do, yeah. My my mom, unfortunately, I grew up in a very Neil Young forward house, so I, I am a Neil Young fan as well, but I don't know if his music is really the most celebratory. <laughs> <laughs> my last thing I want to say is when Brad Cecil, watch that guy's tape. Now, next year, you're going to get through the draft. You're going to get drafted. He's going to have a hat on, all that stuff. When you sit down and negotiate a deal, Emily, don't forget about Vikings report with Drew and Ted. <laughs> we, we basically made that guy, okay? We get we get 0.025%. Don't forget. Gross, not net, but gross. <laughs> Don't forget. If I were his agent in that way, then he'd have <laughs> But unless you guys are willing to sponsor him as a college athlete, there you go. I'll tell you what, Emily, it's been great. Good luck to all your guys that are, are going to the NFL. I hope they all end up in the Hall of Fame one day. I know they've got a Hall of Fame representation. Oh. Thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your day, especially this time of the year. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Show me the money! <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> Thank you, guys. Take care. You bet. Take care. Show me the money. <laughs> Show me the money! That's a great interview. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate it. Now we are back with defensive ends this week. We've got roster guys. We've got free agency. And then we've got Drew's big board coming up in a minute. And defensive end, you know, we were talking in the uh, in the first segment. Hey, right here. What What do you got right going here, on? Bud. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Am I hallucinating? Just what in the hell is going on? Well, hey, Ted. <laughs> We're talking about football and having some food. <laughs> Ted, I've been thinking about something. What's that? If you're, if you're here and I'm here, doesn't that kind of make it our time? You're right. You're right, Mr. Spicoli. It you're, does make it our time. And there's nothing like having a feast <laughs> on our time. Four of the double cheese and sausage. Right here, dude. Here you, dude. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? Learning about Cuba, having some food. Mr. Spicoli, you're on dangerous ground here. You're causing a major disturbance on my time. <laughs> I've been thinking about this, Mr. Han. If I'm here and you're here, doesn't that make it our time? <laughs> Certainly there's nothing wrong with a little feast on our time. You're absolutely right, Mr. Spicoli. It is our time. Yours, mine, and everyone else's in this room. But it is my class. Hamilton, Brandt, Cornfell, up front. Mr. Spicoli has been kind enough to bring us a snack. Be my guest. Help yourselves. Get a good one. <laughs> Johnson, Billy, step up. <laughs> Grab a big one. Come Grab here. A big Grab a piece. Macaulay's <laughs> bought pizza for the whole class. You dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
right, this week we got defensive ends. Like we normally do, we will start with the rostered guys. Then we'll, we'll get some free agents. And again, just like last week, I think they're pretty much done. If the Vikings were going to sign a free agent, I think it would be at this position just based on need and who's still available. Even after Z Smith signed? Maybe. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I'll talk about why. And then, and then we got Drew's big board. If the Vikings go defense in the first round, defensive end or an edge could be a guy they go after. But first, we're going to talk about our roster. We've got Daniil Hunter coming back from an injury. Patrick Jones, the second. Okay. Janarius Robertson, Kenny Willekes, and DJ Wanham. How many on the starting roster opening day, Ted? They've got five on the roster now. I mean, Hunter's a lock, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you could add Zadarius Smith into the defensive end group. That's what he is. He's a stand-up edge rusher. That's what he does. Yeah. He's listed as a linebacker, but with the Vikings going to this 3-4, right. how, how do these guys, other than Daniil Hunter, I think Patrick Jones the second would be a good 3-4 guy. I see all those guys you just named is, is getting a roster spot. Do you really? Maybe the only odd man out is Janarius Robinson just because you didn't see him play. Okay. But Willica, look what Willikas did. Yeah. He was in the, you're not getting rid of Kenny Willikas. He's on the verge of being a great player. Wanham held his own. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Patrick Jones got in there a little bit last year. All those names you just named, I see them all making the roster. There was a guy I'm just not sure about. It's Janarius Robinson. Those other four guys, Hunter was awesome before he got hurt. Patrick Jones is one of the few third-round picks the Vikings put on the field last year, and I think he played well in spurts. Right. Willikus had a couple of really good games, and, and I, he seems like a solid rotational guy. But again, going from the 4-3 to the 3-4, how's that going to translate for how they play? That's a good question. I don't know. I had heard grumblings the last month or so about the Vikings running different defenses during the game, the 3-4 and then switching to the 4-3 during the game, mm-hmm. which can't be an easy thing, and then even running another variance off of that. So, like, yeah. different defenses coming in at different times. Do you think that's what they're going to do or just stick to one kind of defense? I think Ed Donatel plans on mixing it up quite a bit, showing a lot of different looks. Well, then you got to keep these guys because some of them are 4-3 defensive ends. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. It, and they're not going to be running the 3-4 all the time. You know, the 3-4 is kind of their base defense, but Kevin O'Connell, I remember him saying in his introductory press conference that, they're going to be in, in a nickel defense a lot. And when that happens, they're going to have four down linemen. So are we going to see guys like Daniil Hunter or Patrick Jones, the second, maybe playing inside with Zadarius Smith on the outside? I mean, I don't know. We're going to, we're going to find out. It's going to be interesting to see how Ed Donatel uses the pieces he has at his disposal. Man, the, the defensive end slash edge class is fat this year, Ted. Yeah, it is. There is some dynamic pass rushing guys out there. For free agents in this position, you think the Vikings are done with free agency at this position? I do. Is there, I do. Is there not even one guy that stands out to you that, that you could think could maybe be a be a guy they would look at? I saw some uh, old Vikings on there on that list this morning when I looked at it. <laughs> Run it back! Everything sucks all the time! Run it back! Run it back! End of the road. Nothing to do, and no hope of things getting better. What? <laughs> Sorry, so dumb. One hour later. What do you think of this player? He sucks. <laughs> the only name I'm going to mention is Jadavian Clowney. He was rumored very early in free agency as a guy the Vikings were possibly looking at. But the only reason I'm mentioning Jadavian Clowney is because right. I want to show this highlight. No. He was at South Carolina. Come on, and he legitimately killed a dude from Michigan in their oh. bowl game. 
Roll it! Can get off the ball and rock people like Clowney. Off the ball and off the ball and off the ball and. Oh, gnarly! Dude, that is the most gnarly ass hit I've ever seen. That was violent, man. I remember watching it in the bowl game and I was like this. I didn't even have a comeback. I just said, that is embarrassing. That's the biggest stick I've seen in 20 years. That was that was like an NFL blitz hit. Oh, geez. Anyways, there are some names out there. Clay Campbell, Jason Pierre-Paul. Akeem Hicks is a dude that wrecked the Vikings when he was on the Bears. Nobody signed him yet? No, he's still listed as a free agent. If they do sign somebody at this late of the stage, you know, before before the draft, they sign a defensive end off the free agent list. Mm-hmm. Then they they're not really thinking much of Janarius Robinson or Patrick Jones. I would agree. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are young on the Vikings that never got a shot because of Zimmer poopy britches. He he really did try to bury some rookies unless unless he absolutely needed him to play. Zimmer was a moron, dude. Let's go ahead and move to your big board because I do think if the Vikings look at a position in the first round in the draft, defensive end could be a, a position they really look at hard. Give me the horns. That was that's the worst thing I've ever heard. You can't do any better than that. <laughs> that sucked. Everything sucks. All the time. Ollie from all the time. Long time, first time. The Vikings <laughs> suck. Fire everybody. Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look, but it, it looks like you've got six guys yeah. that you have as potential first-round picks. and I, it, That's the most you have out, out of anybody so far, isn't it? Yes. I think wide receiver, I had six also. Okay. Five or, five or six, but this is a great edge class, Ted. A lot of guys ready to come in and play right away. The edge class is premier again this year. As we always start out in the segment here, we look back at what we had last year. Last year, there was 34 defensive ends drafted. Wow. Third most by any position. Wide receivers had 37. Cornerbacks had 36. And defensive end was third with 34. There were six taken in round one last year. Wow. Everybody needs edge guys. If you can't rush the passer, you have no chance. Everybody that's a valuable position, defensive end, left tackle, and corner. But if you work your defensive ends in unison with having shut down corners, that's when you start playing in the postseason, and that's when you start playing for the money. But if you don't have defensive ends, you can't pressure the quarterback, you have no shot. So 14 taken in the first three rounds. That left 20 defensive ends taken in rounds four through seven. The Vikings grabbed the 13th defensive end off the board with Patrick Jones out of Pitt, who we mentioned, in the third round. And then they followed it up in the fourth round. And they took the 19th overall defensive end in the draft when they took Janarius Robinson from Florida State. That's what went on last year. We jump to the big board now. We are not going to discuss Aiden Hutchinson because he's not going to be a Viking. He's going to be the first player taken in the entire draft by the Jags. Think so? Yes. They would be stupid not to take him. He's the best defensive player in this draft by far. We're going to go down the list. and We're going to pull off a few of these guys we think are special. So... We can't pick Aiden Hutchinson, but you still got Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, Kayvon Thibodeau, David Ojabo, and then George Karloftis. Of those guys, and we'll take Ojabo out because I want to talk about Ojabo kind of separately. Of those other guys, is there one guy that you think 
the Vikings could be targeting at 12. I had Trayvon Walker after I did my grading system. Trayvon Walker and Jermaine Johnson, I had them even. Okay. Their weak points are the other guy's strong points. Okay. Jermaine Johnson, I'd probably give a little bit of an edge to, even though I made him number three. I made Trevon Walker number two because you can play him anywhere along the line. And he's kind of freaky. He's a freaky dude with huge upside versatility. He's jumping up the draft boards. You've probably seen in mock draft people are taking him because the size, the speed, the strength combo. You put 15 pounds on Trayvon Walker, mm-hmm. he's DeForest Buckner out of the gate. He's that good. Really? He's a tremendous football player. Okay. The problem with him is if he doesn't beat you with speed and quickness, then he struggles getting off the blocks. You hate to see that. You hate to see guys who, if their first moves don't work, then they don't, they're washed out of the play. Mm-hmm. That seems to happen to him. Doesn't happen a lot, but he really depends on his speed and quickness. And if that fails him, then he's out of the play. And that kind of bugs me a little bit. He had 32 tackles, six tackles for loss, and only six sacks. But he's not a numbers player. The stats don't really show what kind of game he can play. Walker is very versatile player, very quick. And he hits you like a soda pop machine, Ted, except that if he doesn't beat you with his speed, he seems to get washed out of the play a little bit. So I think all these guys, especially if you're going to play defensive end, you have to have a secondary move like Chris Dolman. He had nine moves. Yeah, he did. And if an offensive lineman was good against four of them, he'd use the other five. And if the offensive lineman was good against those five, he'd use the other four. You have to have different areas you can go to to kind of resupplement your attack. Jermaine Johnson, now that guy, that dude's a killer, Ted. Florida State, 6'5", 254. I did my grading. I gave him a B in tackling, B in pass rush, and B in run B. That's the thing about Jermaine Johnson. He does everything good. Okay. He doesn't do anything poorly. He's really consistent player all the way across the board. Really athletic guy. He's probably looks like more of a 4-3 defensive end, hand of the dirt guy. But I see him as a 3-4 stand-up guy. That's the way I would play him, just like Boya Mafe. I think Boya Mafe from Minnesota, my number seven guy, if you don't stand him up, he's not going to make it in the league. Really? Why is that? He can't defend the run when he's in a three-point. He's washed out of run plays. Would you take a guy, just your opinion, you're the GM and you get to make the pick. Would you take a guy who is absolutely elite at one thing, like Mafe at, at pass rush, or would you look at a guy like Jermaine Johnson who's just really good at everything and, and would need – they're all going to need coaching, but a guy like Mafe would probably need more coaching in other areas compared to Jermaine Johnson. I would take the guy that's good at everything, Ted, just for the fact of if you're not good at everything, you're not going to be on the field three downs. Okay. You're going to be out, if you're a pass rush specialist, you're going to be out there on third and long. The good thing about Jermaine Johnson is he's a great run defender, good pass rusher. Look at his production. 12 games, 70 tackles, 17 and a half tackles for loss, and 11 and a half sacks. There's no weakness in run defense there. He does everything good. I'd rather have a guy that does, maybe he's not quite the pass rush specialist as the other guy, but if he plays good run defense and does that stuff, I can leave him out there all the time. I don't have to drag him off the field during rundowns. Kayvon Thibodeau, I want to ask you about him. Beginning of the season, him and Hutchinson were right there. They were 1-1A. One and, one mm-hmm. and Hutchinson stayed up here, and Thibodeau just kind of kept dropping slowly but surely. Why? I think it's his motor. He has that gives a tendency to take plays off and doesn't seem like his heart's in there full time. That thing he did at the Combine, he ran that 40-yard dash, and they all run two 40-yard dashes. Uh-huh. And then he went over the bench and put all his shit in a bag, and then he left. And the coaches and the other players are watching him go, what are you doing, dude? I mean, you've got drills and everything. He just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do all that. That's not a good look. No, it's not. It's not a good look. 
you got to be out there competing with your brotherhood. Somebody's still going to take him the first round, though, aren't they? Oh, because he has unbelievable talent. <laughs> he has unbelievable potential off the edge. Edge rusher can get to the quarterback are always going to – you got high stock right there. And Thibodeau can certainly get to the quarterback. I don't think he's as good against the run as some other people might think. But he doesn't look like a guy that's committed to football like Aiden Hutchinson is. Different work ethic for each guy. But Thibodeau seems like – I don't know. It seems chancy to me. Let's talk about George Karloftis and then come back to a job. I have him as an A-plus pass rusher. I had him graded at 96, and I had Ojabo graded at 95, and those are my two highest pass rushers. Karloftis wow. can get after the quarterback. He can get after it. Uh, most feel he's just a 4-3 defensive end. I think he can be much more than that. He could be another guy you can stand up on the edge and do different things with. Real dominating pass rusher. Dominating. Runs over people, runs around people, can't be stopped. Kind of got some J.J. Watt going on. Really? Big motor. In 2021, in 667 snaps, he had five sacks, 14 quarterback hits, 35 quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, and 39 tackles. Wow. You get the production out of him. Really, really fun to watch on tape. Karloftis is going to be a great player in this league. One of the five finalists for the Ted Hendricks Award. You remember our buddy Ted Hendricks. Yeah, the stork. The stork, that's right, the stork. Needs to be better run defender. Like Boya Mafe, he needs to work on his run defense a little bit. I had him graded as a C-minus run stuffer, and he's going to have to clean that up a little bit. Good production, great player, and he's going to be somebody that you could certainly work, coaches will love to work with. All these top guys, Ted, that I'm mentioning, the coaches are going to love getting these guys on the team. David Ojabo, let's move to him. Your other guy from Michigan, the, the bookend to, to Aiden Hudson, who terrorized the Big Ten for couple years. Ojabo tore his Achilles at Michigan's Pro Day. I, mm -hmm. I hated to see that. You know, I'm not a Michigan fan, but I, I still, you don't want to wish that on anybody. You still have Ojabo as a first or second round guy. You think somebody's going to pull the trigger on him in the first or second round? I don't see him falling past 25 to 30 range, Ted. There isn't a player in this entire draft with more upside than David Ojabo. Even with the torn Achilles? Yeah, because what you're getting into with Ojabo is you're getting into a guy that has just learned how to play, Ted. He didn't start playing football till he was a junior in high school. And look at how good he is. Ajabo's tapped into like probably 25% of his talent, and he's still better than 90% of these guys. I gave him a B as a tackler, A-plus pass rusher, stand-up 3-4 guy that would fit right into the Vikings' mold, man. 19 college football games. That's not a lot. And he's already made this kind of a mark. He's got big, big upside. That's what makes him so intriguing. Still learning the game. Freakish speed, Ted. Freakish off the edge. Remember Phil Lodeholt? Good right tackle for the Minnesota Vikings for mid-2000s. Towards Achilles, I think, in 2015. Was not able to come back from it. Now, he was a little bit longer in the tooth. Had been a veteran. Been around for six, seven years, I think, at that point. That doesn't bother you, huh? No, no. Just because of the fact that he's only played 19 college football games. And coaches look at him and go, this guy is a freak already. Wait till he learns how, what he's doing. Yeah. Wait till I can teach him all these different moves, the ins and outs, the intricate parts of the game. Ojabo's got nowhere to go but up. That's why I think somebody's still going to take him pretty early. The Achilles thing doesn't bother me because I've seen him play. So moving on from Ojabo, because I kind of have this scenario where the Vikings get whoever they get in the first round, and then right. Ojabo's still sitting there in the second round, and you got – and I, I think I brought this up to you, I think, in one of our earlier shows. You were talking about a guy – You take him. Yeah, and you'd take him over just about anybody else that was available. Oh, absolutely take him. All righty. Let's talk about some of these other guys. You got a couple other second-round guys there. Drake Jackson, Logan Hall, the kid from Penn State, Katie. 
he's probably my favorite of the guys starting you, know, you get past number seven all the way down. Eva Katie from Penn State. I hate Penn State with a passion. I don't like that school. But this guy never stops moving his feet. And he's one of those guys that figures out a way to get in the backfield without being touched. Some guys are just like really sneaky. Uh-huh. His pursuit to the quarterback or the running back, he's never taken a bad angle. He doesn't get slipped, you know, juked out or anything. When he gets you, he gets you and you're down. He's one of the best tacklers I watched doing tape. I wish I could have him higher than 10 on this list. You have him as a second or third round guy. You think he could be there in the third round if the Vikings want to go in that direction? I'd probably lay 10%, maybe 15% that he would be there in the third round. He's probably okay. going to be more of a second round guy because he is one of those freaky dudes that you could line up pretty much anywhere, but he's just a playmaker. Some guys are just playmakers like uh, Josh Pascal. That guy is awesome. I would love to see Pascal come join the Vikings. Pascal had a great career over there at Kentucky, really high in his game. Big production from Nick Bonetto. You want to see something funny? Go look at the tape of my Jay Sanders from Cincinnati when we're done here tonight. Okay. I started watching it, Ted. I thought it was a safety. That guy doesn't look like to me more than 230 pounds, but he's playing defensive end and he's sticking people. Talk about looking kind of small for stature for a defensive end, but playing large. Uh -huh. That dude was all over tackles in the backfield. I had to cut some guys off this thing. Terracoy Tisdale from Ole Miss. Dante Stills from West Virginia. Fantastic players. I just didn't have any room for him on my list. You want to talk three, four defensive ends, putting it all in a nutshell right here? Yeah. yeah Trayvon Walker, Logan Hall, Josh Pascal. Those are your three best in a three, four scheme. Yeah, which you wouldn't have to spend a first round pick on. These other guys, you're going to fly off the board, Ted. All these guys are getting drafted, Ted. Everyone you see here. All righty. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will come back and wrap up the show with our weekly trivia segment. So that'll do it for episode 59. Thank you, Drew, for being an awesome co-host. You make me laugh, make me think. Thank you, Emily Staker, for taking the time out of your day, especially this time of year, to give us some great information about the agent NIL life in the NFL and with the draft. I thought it was fascinating. Ruby, thanks for everything you do with the editing and keeping us on track, making us look smart, because that's the toughest job of all. Before we go, though, there has been some sad news in Minnesota Vikings land. Former Purple People leader Doug Sutherland, number 69 in your program, number one in your heart, probably the most overlooked Purple People leader of, of the five, passed away, and he was one of those giants of our childhood, Drew. Why don't you say a few words, and then uh, we'll try to do better the next time and take us home, buddy. All that 
guys from that team around this early seventies era, Ted, they were not only players, they were, you're in my heroes in a lot of ways. They were in many respects. Yes. And Doug Sutherland came in and he was the first guy that had to replace one of the purple people leaders along the line. So they had had the same guys, Paige and Eller and Larson and uh, Marshall for all those years. And then they had finally, everybody knew was going to wear out. Somebody's going to have to take the spot. And it was Gary Larson who was out and Doug Sutherland came in and he never missed a beat. Nope. Doug Sutherland was the guy that funneled everything down to the middle. Solid tackler, solid. The, the purple people eaters didn't miss a beat. And I often say that he and Wally Hilgenberg are the most underrated Vikings of all time. I loved watching that guy play. Just a great teammate and a great person outside of football. I met some guys that have spent time with him. I know Tony Bell spent some time with him, and everybody speaks so highly. It's just a sad day, and nothing but respect and love for Doug Sutherland today. Yeah, uh, it's just a sad day to watch. You know, you watch your heroes age and get old. It's just terrible, just terrible. And you know, and he was so good. He was named one of the 50 greatest all-time Vikings. So when you say there was no drop-off, we, we aren't blowing smoke up your skirt. He definitely was one of the best players the Vikings have ever had. And he was intimidated by nobody when he came in. He held his ground because, it, you know, you joined Eller and Page along the line. They expect a lot out of you. And he, mm -hmm. was, ready, he was ready to deliver right out, of the, right out of the gate. So rest in peace, Doug Sutherland. Say goodnight, Ted. Good night, Ted.